Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs, and you're listening to Welcome Project Radio. The Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We vision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage with those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Market Cafe, two excellent ways to feel good this summer. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marakna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. Theme music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. Today we bring you three stories from the Welcome Project's archive. Um, We typically do two, so today's a pretty special day. They're titled Some of the Best Ground in the World, Division Road, and Home for Good, I'm sure. The theme that's connecting today's stories sort of revolves around farming and caring for the land. And also, if we have time, we do have a few Facebook photos. Um, So hopefully we'll be able to bring those in as well. Um, But Allison, you actually chose the stories today about farming. What made you think of this theme? So I wanted to do a topic that we haven't really talked about yet. And I know that you, Willow, as part of your job at Shirley Hines, had recently interviewed a farmer. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like timely, given you might have some fresh memories of that (laughs) experience. Um, And I'm just still thinking about the region that we live in. And we're often looking to Gary and thinking about flight paths and... um, like the kind of urban-suburban difference between Gary and Valpo. And I think that a lot of times the sort of rural-suburban divide between Valpo and Kautz is pretty pronounced, and one of our stories will comment on that a little bit. It feels like, um, certainly for the region, that's where some of the political differences Mm -hmm. lie, too. So... I wanted to revisit some stories um, that we had originally done with StoryCorps when Willow was in a class that I had taught called Who's My Neighbor? And we were thinking about what it means to be neighbors in this region across these different, I don't know what you call them, urban, suburban, rural, like they're not really geographical differences, but I don't know what the category is for that. So I thought it would be interesting to go back to that. And um, I suppose Amy Tomasek, whose photos you referenced, um, She's a a professor of photography at the university, and she grew up on a farm, so she's often still drawn to taking photos, in this case of 4-H, but also the Porter County Fair. She's their official, unofficial, (laughs) like, photographer, (laughs) and so the fair is not that far in the past, and, uh, like, so many of her fair photographs came up, um in my feed during that time. And I've always admired them greatly. And I feel like Amy's vision, like what I mean is like her way of seeing the world as a photographer, uh, really opened up rural culture to me in a way that I think, um, I wouldn't have otherwise been open to. So that's that. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So hopefully we'll be able to bring those in. But um, our first story today is titled, Some of the Best Ground in the World. Yeah, and this actually is a new story, and it wasn't part of our story core interviews. Um, and then Nick Ledeau is a Valpo student that edited it, so we wanted to give him props for the production of this story. I'm from LaPorte, Indiana. I have lived here 83 years. 
I was born and raised in LaPorte County. I was raised up on a farm. I had to do uh, a lot of chores when I was a little kid on our farm. It was We had about 10 cows. We had to milk two cows before I went to school every day. And every day when I come home from school, I'd have two loads of corn to unload, too, plus milk two cows and a few other chores to do. And uh, so I, I had to do that. That was my job. Everybody in the family did their share. We also did a lot of work uh, baling hay to feed the animals and all the other work it takes to make a farm operate. I finally uh, got married, and I, I lived in town for quite a few years, and then when I got divorced, my dad had, had given me 30, 35 acres of the old farm, so I decided when I retired, I was going to, well, I actually started before I retired to uh, started farming because my dad died in 1980. So we, we had to take over the farming operations as much as we could. And I decided to do some on my own. So I started renting some property and, and bought some more ground. And, and, uh, and I farmed till about, oh, must have been about 10 years ago I quit completely and then I made hay for a few years and sold hay and straw and stuff like that but uh, I don't do that no more yeah naturally you got bigger bigger equipment nowadays years ago most of the fields were were all small and they were all like 20 or 40 acre patches and that was the reason a lot of them were fenced because if they had cattle they could uh, they could put their cattle on a piece of land and, and pasture it for a year or two, and then they could move them to another spot. And then the next year they could plow it up and, and plant corn or something there. But nowadays, uh, most of these farms have ripped all the fences out, and they take the 40-acre fields and they make them into two and 300 because they got such big equipment that they, they can't uh, turn around in the small patch, and they, gotta, and they just got to have more room. It seemed like there used to be a lot more small farms. Uh, everybody had four or five cows or ten cows or something and raised their own milk and and their own beef and stuff like that. I remember my dad said one time we sat down for dun Sunday dinner and he said everything that's on the table we raised on the farm. So uh, nowadays that doesn't happen like it did back then. I mean, I'm sure people that still farm have a small garden and stuff, but... Uh, it's just they don't have enough time to do it, yeah, so they just go to the grocery store and buy it, yeah. I think LaPorte County raises a lot of products for soybeans and corn, and, and, and there's also a lot of uh, a lot of tomatoes that they're, they raise for ketchup, and there's a lot of green beans that are raised here, and there's a lot of seed corn that's raised here. And it's uh, probably uh, some of LaPorte County's southern part of LaPorte County is some of the best ground in the world around the Kankakee River, they did a lot of, uh, dug a lot of ditches and drained it down quite a bit over the years, but that's some pretty good ground, and it's it's a pretty good place to raise some pretty good crops, yeah. You're listening to Welcome Project Radio. This is Allison Schutte with Willow Walsh and Reagan Skaggs, and today on Listen Up, we are um, hearing some from our rural neighbors about life on the farm, and I also noted uh, noticed that this is a Laporte County story, which I think maybe is our one and only at this point in time. And when we thought about the Welcome Project as a, a regional project, that was always something that people were asking us about. Like, 
are you going to include Laporte County? And, you know, we hardly have gotten to touch on that. So this is a fun way to at least scratch the surface today. Mm-hmm. Reagan, what stood out to you from this story just as a starting point? I mean, uh, the way he talks, it's very <sighs> rural. It's <laughs> it's so rural. And like, I mean, this very lovingly. Like, like the pace, the yeah, tone. Yeah, it's just like he talks like he talks the way that a lot of like the older men I grew up around talk. And that was, I don't know, it was very nice. I liked that a lot. But also just, like, he takes, like, true pride in, like, what he's doing now. And he's also able to not blame people for not doing the same things that he once was able to do. Like, he just seems like a a compassionate Mm -hmm. older man that I would love to just talk to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Um, Because I read through this transcript and I didn't hear it until just now. And, oh my goodness, he sounds like a farmer. (laughs) I just love that. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's really interesting about sort of like, I mean, he's talking about, so I'm trying to like sort of place the era in which he's referencing. So I guess his dad passed away in 1980. So I suppose this would be around like the 70s, 80s, 90s, where he's mostly farming. And so that's kind of, that stood out to me because he's talking about, you know, you have to go out, do the farm chores, milk the cows pluck the corn and in my mind i don't know i always think about like like dust bowl area when i picture Mm. those sort of like chores and so that's so interesting that it's so i mean that's only a few decades ago and like that's how he grew up so i don't know that sort of stood out to me it's a lot more that practice is a lot more recent than i think i thought it was Hmm, that's interesting yeah and maybe partly uh what accounts for that sense of like the doing the chores on the farm kind of thing being so ancient (laughs) history (laughs) is partly what he's talking about with uh, the fact that there's such big agricultural farms now Mm -hmm. and that this, the small farms and the small farm, small family farms have really been depending, I guess, on your perspective swallowed up. I often hear it spoken of as a, a sad thing that it's happening. Um, that big ag has kind of taken over. I am also struck by those kinds of chores and thinking about what that would have been like. I, I don't have that as a point of reference in my life at all. Like if I did chores, it was dusting. (laughs) Um, so I I grew up in Decatur, Illinois, which is definitely, it used to be the soybean capital of the world. So it's definitely agricultural country. But I think we might have talked about this on the show before. I have no relationship to farming. I grew up in the city, and so I I never really had friends that were from the farm. I mean, I'm sure that they were at my high school, although actually I'm not, I'm not so sure because I would think that the country kids would have had schools that were maybe closer to them too. I'm not sure how that worked. But anyway, our lives didn't overlap in any significant way such that I got to know anybody growing up that that lived on a farm. I don't know. None of you grew up, like, none of you, like, shucked corn or anything for dinner? Like, I mean, I feel like you'd pick it up at, like, a farm stand in the summer and you would, like, shuck a couple at home, but not, like... As okay. a chore, <laughs> more than like a couple. Did you? Did ever you? No, I mean like that, like what Willow's talking about. But I had friends who did the the tasseling. Yeah, like that would make their that would be their summer job where they'd go out 
at like five in the morning kind of that was not me okay (laughs) (laughs) no was that you (laughs) kind of i mean like i don't know warsaw i grew up in warsaw indiana and it's such a weird little spot like now that i'm an adult who does not live there and like has been to places that are not my hometown i didn't realize what a weird little spot it was um there's such this it's so warsaw claims also that it's the orthopedic capital of the world so we have a lot of like manufacturing jobs in my hometown and we also have a lot of upper level job opportunities like a lot of people that i grew up with that like were good at school like they and they kind of did this to me too when i was in high school they try to put you in like a biomed pipeline so that you go you go become a biomedical engineer or a doctor and you come back Mm -hmm. Um, and you do that work. And then there's also farms all around. And we only have one, like all the other towns around my town are very, very small. So the Warsaw Community High School services almost the whole of Kosciuszko County, which is relatively large. So there's like, it's just extremely mixed. You have like extreme like wealth, like, and now that I'm older and like the industry is developing more, like more immigration and stuff too, like within my high school. And then we have people who are extremely rural, who have been farming for, like, generations, generations, like, all in one spot. So, I don't know. I guess I just had more proximity than I thought I did. Yeah, and then were you friends with kids that were on the farm? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, like, friends who, most of my, I didn't have a bunch of friends who had farms, but I had friends that had farms, and then we had... Uh, like everybody had a garden almost like most of my friends moms had a garden my mom had a garden like a big one all throughout growing up even like now we live in the city and she's got a huge flower garden but on the side of her yard is just like tomatoes and stuff and like corn and rhubarb and like all that like so she's and my great grandma who adopted my mom and stuff like she's always had a garden so I don't know I guess I've just I didn't realize that that was weird (laughs) well is it weird or is it just not 100% representative of the people in this room yeah (laughs) I don't know that that is weird at all um I grew up my mom had a garden in the backyard for a certain period of time and then I think there were too many kids and she got too busy but it was never something that I did alongside her or with her and to this day, Liz is the <laughs> the gardener in our family. And I just, I mean, it could be a personality thing. I have never really, like, especially growing up, I didn't feel compelled mm. to be out of doors. Now I actually really like being out and hiking and kayaking and things like that. But I came to that much later in life. So I think there's things about my personality that, like, domestic spaces and books (laughs) so I don't know that I was drawn out of doors in ways that like detasseling for the summer would have been something that I would have like been I mean who's drawn to five in the morning I don't know but (laughs) some enough kids were because they were doing it so one of my friend's jobs in high school it was her job to like sex the chicks like the baby chickens do you have any idea what that entails? Yeah, it's not good, um, but I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> okay, um, we're not going into the details. But, um, and, and, you know, they don't sex them for fun reasons either, but, you know, whatever. Uh, this is how our meat industry works. But she would go there and just, like, kind of whatever time she was able to go, they would she would go, and she would just do that for, like, hours. And mm-hmm. then she'd be like, all right, here we go. Now I got paid. Yeah. Yeah, just another kind of work. Nothing yeah. special about it sort of thing. Yeah. And it was nice. I remember being jealous because she had a really flexible work schedule. (laughs) 
and I did not. So <laughs> she could go sex the chickens whenever she wanted to. Yeah, and then she could just have her day. And I was like, man, I got after school activities and then my job and then school again. <laughs> this is this is lame. <laughs> so, are there other things about the story that feel important, either for the region that we're in here? Or for this personal storyteller in terms of his family and how how do you hear him related to the land or related to the activity of farming? I mean, he takes a lot of pride in the land, like in the place that he lives, in the place that he's from. Um, and I think that to a lot of us who are more disconnected from the land or even just more disconnected um, from the rural lifestyle as a whole, like that's kind of foreign, you know, like that pride and specifically like the place that you are from, specifically the ground that you come from. Do you agree, Willow? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I was also thinking about how he referenced like the Kankakee river area. And that is, it's like it bottoms like Lake County, Porter County kind of goes a little bit into Stark County and LaPorte County. And like that whole like area around it is like the Kankakee marsh. So there is a lot of really good ground over there Mm because it's really wet. But, um, but I think it's interesting too, because it's like, I don't know, as somebody who's like grown up in Valparaiso, and my touch points, like if I were to like name out cities around me, I would say Portage, Chesterton, Laporte, Hammond, Gary. Like I would, you know, I would name everything at the top of our counties. And so it's it's so it's always an interesting reminder to me that there are other people in my county. I mean, he's in Laporte County. I grew up in Laporte, but you know, also in Porter County, like there's just this whole other southern parts of these counties that I just personally like I don't typically think of our county as a whole like that so I just I I really like that he sort of like called that out and like thinking about the lower part of our counties because that's not something that I ever think about unless I just decide to go on smoke road for a long time or something and end up near Coutts. Yeah bicycling will often take me kind of out into the more rural areas and I always used to feel a little bit more intimidated being out there because I didn't know anybody that was out there. And then I remember after we had visited Couts and done our field trip with Joe Cannon um, for the class, Who's My Neighbor? And then we did our story court interviews with some of the families down there that I felt like, um, I don't know if I felt like I belonged exactly, but it felt like I know people here now. And so mm-hmm. this doesn't have to be such a strange place. Um I don't know that anybody would have looked at me differently on my bike. So I, sometimes it's just about cycling and big trucks. And <laughs> I don't know if that has anything to do with farm or not, but um, cars and big trucks don't always like cyclists. I don't quite understand why, but um, I love the fact that he and his family were able to look at their dinner table and be like, everything here we raised on the farm. And I know I feel that way with Liz's garden. Like when we're able to name the, the, you know, the food that we're eating as having come directly from the work that she and Hope have done. Um, And there is something about that that's so satisfying. And of course the food tastes better. And it does seem like a sad thing to have lost, generally speaking. Um, I'm sure there are people who are still really intentionally trying to do it, although he notes that, you know, given a normal, I don't know, the typical family 
day, even for farmers, that might mean that it's easier to go to the store to get what you need. Um, but I do think there are people committed to a life on the land and local food. So, um, it hasn't gone away entirely, but it's interesting to think about how the industry itself has, the industry of agriculture itself has, um, pulled away from the ability to do that. Like he makes this comment about the, the equipment and how big the equipment is. And he ends up saying that, you know, they needed to get rid of the fences and have more and more property because the equipment was so big that it couldn't make the sort of tight turns on smaller farms. But I've always thought about it as the other way around. Like you have more and more land. And now in order to be efficient in farming it, you actually have to have the large technology that, that Mm. allows you to do that. Mm. So, I mean, I trust him before I trust myself on this, of course. So that's just really interesting to think about. And probably they go hand in hand, right? Like you develop the technology for some need and then that new technology changes the landscape in this case of farming so that the technology can be used. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised uh, that they would kind of go grow up hand in hand. Yeah. And actually like, I don't know, at least like what I know now from Shirley Heinz is that the USDA has actually sort of jumped on some of those opportunities because the land is so large and that there's like, um, like one of the things that people do is like the conservation reserve program because this equipment is so large and it, and it, you can really only like square off your fields. It's easier to do yeah. it that way. And so there's, there becomes this like, I don't know, like whatever's left over. If you cut this square out, you know, on the, along the, mm, edges, the edges of the property, like the U S or the conservation reserve program, will actually pay them like pay farmland owners to like have native plants and things around there because it's so inefficient to like farm those scraggly areas around the end. So I guess that's something that is happening more so I guess Mm. south of division Mm. do you feel uh Willow any resonance between this storyteller and the farmer that you interviewed in terms of topics or is it not necessarily the same I mean this person is thinking back on a whole life um and being really reflective of that history I don't know what kind of interview you were. Yeah, so doing. I mean, it really varies. I mean, like there is one farmer, Tom. He farms in like Valparaiso and Chesterton, and he has smaller farms, and he doesn't have like large irrigators or anything like that. Um, and he really enjoys that, but he does talk about how hard that is. Um, and then there's other farmers who are just like, oh yeah, I own this land, and I just I own a lot more, and then you know it makes me money, and that's what I'm doing it for, and. It sort of varies. <laughs> like some people are really into it and really care about the land and some people just, you know, it's like a business and it's a yeah. career and, you know, it's for money, but it just varies. Well, I think that the way that the speaker is talking about farming isn't as common anymore anyway, you know, like especially he does mention like the big, the big equipment and like the big swaths of land well like if you're doing that a lot of times what you're planting is like one crop or two crops like it's a monoculture right so you're planting like a bunch of soybeans or he mentions tomatoes or like but i grew up it was soybeans and corn everywhere soybeans and corn it was like seed corn not even corn that like people could eat yeah same for Mm -hmm. decadent yeah so like that's what you're doing you're 
you're not putting food on your table from that. You, it's just like what Willow was talking about. It's like almost purely a business. And that is partially big ag, but that's partially just the direction that farming in general has been going for a long Mm -hmm. time. So like the farming that he's talking about, I think would be unfamiliar to a lot of farmers now, you know? Yeah. Did you know that less than 2% of our crops are in Indiana are sweet corn? And if we could only rely on crops in Indiana to eat, we would starve. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? That is wild to me. There's corn everywhere and it's the seed corn. Yeah, you can't eat it. Like that's, that's, yeah, that's bananas to me. But I don't know. Also, the story makes me think about like there that I think there is something in common between people who are out there in like LaPorte County and like the more agricultural rural areas or like even Southern Porter County. And like this interest that like Liz has where you guys live in like downtown Valpo, but people are still interested in growing their own food and sort of cultivating that and caring for the land. But it's like, I don't know, I feel like up here in in Valpo, we don't have as much space for that, but there's still this interest with people who do have land that could do small farms. I don't know. That might be like an interesting co-op type of thing to where like we share the land and can like cultivate it together. I don't know. Maybe that's too like woohoo, but... (laughs) I, I think there would be people that are already doing that in places. Yeah, I want to so talk to them. I don't think it's too woohoo out there, but you might have to find your tribe yeah. and see how and what it would require to be able to do here. It is a little strange to think about some of the best farmland in the world not feeding people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, uh, this, I, I don't know who did the interview for this person and whether they have any um, questions that they asked about, like criticism of the industry. And did you, mm-hmm. when you interviewed farmers, ask them to think critically at all about do they have criticisms? Um, I didn't have the chance to talk that deeply um, to them, but I, I know there is. I mean, there, I think the sense that I did get is that you sort of give up some control. Um, when you start to do like more corporate farming and then like the, the seed is monitored more closely, like you're sending in samples, there's, there's like a whole rigmarole around it. And so I think as you move to those places, it's a lot more, I don't know, they're sort of like the larger agricultural corporations are telling you what you should be farming versus like, I don't know, maybe some more decisions and leaving it up to the farmer, I guess you sort of lose that autonomy and agency in terms of what you're doing. And so I think there's that pushback I know of at least. It also makes me feel like if Indiana farmers are not feeding Hoosiers, like that's a, a, a point, a possible point of contact between urban, suburban and rural that's missed, mm. right? Because the farms aren't bringing their wares to town. I, I mean, this is an, a counter example to that would be the farmer's markets, that happen um, in Valpo and Chesterton and other places in uh, Northwest Indiana and elsewhere. Although I always think it's very interesting that when I walk through the Valparaiso one, it's like the farmer's market is mostly crafts Mm -hmm. or vendors like doing like hot dogs (laughs) or something. And I'm like, this isn't really a farmer's market anymore. I mean, there are some farms that come or like there's a butcher that comes that brings their, you know, meats that they've raised. So it it is an opportunity, but it's interesting. Like it feels like at least here in Valpo, I, I don't know that that's true of farmer's markets everywhere, but that something about the craft industry is 
And maybe it has to do with the fact that there are not as many small farms. Like they are mm. these large monoculture yeah. industries that aren't feeding people. So it makes it harder to bring your wares to town, yeah. so to speak. And like how that might change your relationship with people like on the more rural side, despite, you know, maybe your politics not lining up. But it's like if you know that the farms you know, you're driving on eight or something and you see the farms there, it's like, oh, this is in my grocery store. I think that would change sort of our relationship if we're having that sort of beneficial exchange. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Which I think will come up a little bit in our second story today where we'll be hearing it from the farmer's perspective and for people in Couts, Indiana, like what's this, how are they feeling separate or different from Valparaiso residents? Mm -hmm. Um, so it might be a good time to segue over that to that too. This is WVLPLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, community-supported radio, also streaming live from WVLP.org. We rely on donations from individuals, businesses, and other organizations in order to continue to spread the word that ongoing, volunteer-driven local media leads to a better community. Please consider supporting this station by visiting our website, wvlp.org backslash support. Donations are tax deductible, and we here at Listen Up Welcome Project Radio would sure appreciate it. And you're here with me, Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs. Um, today on Listen Up, we've been thinking about our rural neighbors and uh, listening to stories from the Welcome Project that... Um, features those storytellers reflecting on their life south of the uh, county, if you're in Porter County, or the first story we heard was from Laporte, which is to our east. Um, Should I go ahead and just play? This one's called Division Road. It's still an agriculture atmosphere throughout southern Porter County. You know, one stoplight in Coutts, no stoplights in Malden. Malden has the grain elevator, a church, and a bar. Yep. That's the extent of Malton. You're only six minutes from Valparaiso. So where the big city hasn't moved south, but you can still do what you want. Division Road is the marking point. Valparaiso is north of Division Road and it's ag as soon as you hit south of Division. The current owners of that ground have kind of stopped the flow of of the city heading further south. Valpo is the city. Right. So right. You, you you look at it and you say, no, I, I'd rather go to Coutts. You know, sure. uh, they're the more of our kind of people, I guess you'd say. Sure. Uh, more of the agriculture community. There's a lot of good people in Velpo, don't get me wrong. I don't think any less of them by no means, but uh, this is home. South of Division Road is home. There can be some tension, but it doesn't seem to be that way, especially in this northwest area up here. It's almost a synergy with Gary being close in these mills, and it's allowed agriculture to continue. The biggest thing in ag period is consolidation. It's tough for the small farmer to make it. A guy can't make it on four to 600 acres anymore. He needs 1,000 acres to make it. He never did grow, so that farm gets swallowed up by that guy who does make 1,000. An average farm up here is probably closer to that thousand to twelve hundred acres because of that and because of our geographic distance up here from some pretty good paying jobs in the steel mill industry several farmers have been able to work an off-site job and allowed them to keep farming down here 
So the consolidation has been much, much slower here. And having that opportunity to work off-site, whether that be in a steel mill, whether that's uh, there's several guys running excavation equipment, and it's just we're very fortunate where we're at. Where what I've seen in southern Indiana, where I'm from, is that consolidation is happening a little faster because there weren't good paying jobs somewhere else. As we move further north, things got real progressive, real cutthroat as I hit Pulaski County, Francisville area. I had warnings, oh, you're getting closer to Chicago, the hustle and bustle, you're not going to like it. And it's amazing as you hit Highway 10 and Wheatfield and Coutts and Malden, it steps back a little bit. We are so fortunate up here with Pratt, the mills and and these factories up here that I want them to continue booming. I would love for that growth and development just to stay on the north side of division. <laughs> this is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio, and I'm Allison Schutte with Willow Walsh and Reagan Skaggs. Today we're reflecting on our rural neighbors and hearing from them first person. Reagan, I'll start with you again, if that's okay. Anything jump out at you from this story, Division Road? Yeah. So the first thing that sticks out to me is, and this is something that um, has come up a couple times just recently in my life. I'm glad that he is excited about where he lives now and what he's doing now, but he's also like praising his and his fellow farmers ability to work two jobs, two full-time jobs. So that's immediately what How is that up. landing with you? I don't like it. I don't like, why should you have to work two full-time jobs? And I understand what he's saying where he's like, I'm so grateful that we are able to maintain our farms. I'm grateful that this is a culture that we can continue and a trade that we can continue. And it's a valuable trade and it's a valuable culture. I'm not trying to say it's not, um, or that he shouldn't be glad that he's able to do these things. I don't think you should have to work two jobs, like full stop. Um, yeah. in any context, I don't think if you were working full time, you are and like, or, you know, you're not able to work a job, whatever you also deserve to be able to live comfortably. But I'm just saying like, if you work full time, you should be fine. And mm. th- yeah, so that, that's bugging me, but yeah, <laughs> that's what sticks yeah. out to me. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, what about you? I don't know. I think for me, like I, I love the sort of like the line that he places at Division Road because I had never thought about that until I heard Mm -hmm. this story and it makes so much sense like for me I love driving like out around the fields and so for me it's the same thing when I think about my drive like I drive is that like sturdy that goes by VU yeah it goes all the way down yeah Yeah, so the graveyard yeah so you take sturdy all the way down and then there's like that dog park off of division Division. yeah and then it's like and like that is exactly in my mind where it starts like i would cross division and then there is that property right there that has farms on both sides and that's where i start my little drive like when i go on a drive so i and and that's that makes so much sense so i love that he said that and i also love that he pointed out that like those farms there like, and I'm specifically, I don't know if he's referencing these ones, but I'm thinking about the farms across the street from the dog park on division. Yeah, it really is those people who are continuing to make it agricultural land that's sort of preventing the crawl of Valparaiso from moving into that space, even though just down the road is like the Porter County Expo Center. So it's like mm-hmm. there is opportunity for that to happen. So I don't know. I just love the way that he put that like that. It's, I never had thought about it in that way before and I enjoyed it. It'd be interesting to know if there's something like a natural geographic something to like why Division Road is where it is because it it feels like it's just part of the 
really strong uh, square plaiting that happened. Yes. Um, as opposed to like, it's not necessarily a winding road that must have followed a creek at some yeah. point. But um, it makes me, it does make me wonder, like, why is division the place that's holding the line, yeah. so to speak? And then it's called division. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So like, was that coincidence? Or anyway, it is, it is interesting to think about. I, I can't help but just comment on you know that for for these storytellers Valpo is the big city and you know they mentioned Chicago so clearly other people farther in, like so one of the storytellers who did come up from southern Indiana to do farming up here you know talks about like the people from where he originally grew up thinking of Chicago as this big city that like you know if you get anywhere close you're going to be swallowed up by like that hustle and bustle so it's not like the s- storytellers aren't aware of Chicago as the big city. Mm-hmm. And yet relative to what they're used to, Valpo is a big city. And when I think about our students at the university who come from Chicago, and like, <laughs> it would just be baffling to them to think of Valpo as a, a big city. So I think that's just really useful to kind of continually remember the Mm -hmm. these the relativity of these kinds of experiences based on where we're situated and I remember doing this interview and being so struck by the fact that farmers were working other jobs and I concur wholeheartedly with you Reagan that you should not have to work two full-time jobs And I want to say that I think it's interesting because I assumed that not only would there be a certain kind of animosity between like Couts and Valpo, but that Couts to Gary, like that kind of relationship would be even more animus. That's not a word. Just because thinking of like the, that would be like our kind of big gritty city in the region. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming a certain kind of racism between... South County and North County, mm-hmm. um, some of which is not just assumption. So, but like assuming it of particular storytellers, that is an assumption. Um, so it was really interesting to me to think about the fact that, okay, so if a farmer does have a second job and it's in the steel mills mm. of all places, that is another one of these points of contact where folks from really different ways of life, mm-hmm. different cultures, mm-hmm. um, are actually. I don't want to say that it's like it makes relationships happen because there's ways to avoid each other still, um, but it becomes a potential, I guess. And so that seems like a, I don't know if I would call it a benefit of having two jobs because that feels too much, but it is a way that the region actually stays cognizant of each other Mm -hmm. um, that otherwise might not happen. Um, So that really strikes me about this, this story too. And it's so interesting because that also makes me think about, like, we've heard the reverse part of that, right? Like, so in this story, we're like, okay, if you're a farmer, maybe from South County and you're going to Gary, there's some overlap that's happening. But we've also heard the reverse where people are saying like, oh, people are coming up to Gary for these steel mill jobs and they don't live here and they're taking all of that tax money mm-hmm. back to South County. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. there are those like interesting intersections there too. Well, it's also the thing. So this is also on my mind. I've been on Twitter too much lately. 
But there's this like big surge, I feel, of like young men that are regressing in regards to gender equality. Um, it's especially trending, or at least it's especially like in my awareness at the moment. And like part of that thing is they talk about like, oh, women are taking our jobs, like because like women not working in the home or whatever, like you are taking a job from somebody who could be supporting somebody who's working in the home. Like they're taking their own jobs though. Like they have two full time jobs. Mm-hmm. So, like, now, instead of, like, okay, you have a farm, you are a farmer, and that is your trade, and that is your living, now you are also taking Mm -hmm. a steel mill job, and those are good jobs. They're kind of Mm -hmm. hard to get into. Mm -hmm. They're one of the few, like, union, good benefits, good manual blue-collar jobs left. Like, there's other manufacturing places. I come from a place that's heavy in manufacturing. None of it is unionized. None of it is guaranteed Mm -hmm. benefits. They fire and hire people like it's nobody's business. The steel mill is one of the few places you can Mm -hmm. get a good job. Because it's a union. Because it's a union and because of the strides, like, that it's made. And so now we have people who have two jobs. Mm -hmm. Two good jobs. Like, you're taking your own jobs. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. people, you're not, people aren't being paid enough. Like, that's insane. Yeah, something to be said about, like, how the government is supporting our farmers that, you know, that they're giving valuable subsidies. Like, yeah, so, I mean, the government is subsidizing. Well, that's a whole other thing that the government is over-subsidizing corn and it's in everything. But, like, how is the government supporting this vital trade, which is farming and providing Mm -hmm. food and a baseline for animal feed and, you know, medicines, other things that, you know, what crops go into. And it's like that, that trade in and of itself in a place like Indiana to where if you go anywhere else in the country, people will be like, oh yeah, corn, Indiana, you know, in this state, people can't even be a full-time small farmer and support their own livelihood without another... It's not a small farmer. He's talking about 1,000 acres, 1,200 acres. Yeah. That's not small by any means. Yeah. And like how that can't support his family like a steel mill job could. Yeah. And it's like, and that's a vital thing. We need farmers and that's not sustainable. I don't know. That's... Now that's not sustainable. That situation is not sustainable. (laughs) This is WVLPLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso and streaming live from WVLP.org. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with me, Allison Schutte, and my co-hosts, Willa Walsh and Reagan Skaggs. Um, And today we are talking about um, the rural life and economy and culture of our region here in Northwest Indiana. What do you all think about how he ends the story when he says, like, we're so fortunate with Pratt and the mill and these factories up here, but and I want them to continue booming, and I want that development to stay north of division. What do we think about that? I mean, it reminds me of the not in my backyard kind yes. of movement. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, you know, it's it, this is one of the thing about things about doing Welcome Project interviews or stories so I, I, I feel a part of myself wanting to critique that impulse. Mm-hmm. Like you'll, you'll like us as long as we stay on our side of the fence or this, yeah. our side of the train tracks kind of thing. And you'll appreciate how you might benefit from that, but let's not get to know each other. And then on the other hand, I find myself, if I'm understanding these storytellers from their perspective, 
that they have a way of being in the world that feels like it needs per- like a kind of protection. Mm-hmm. So if development, and I'm thinking yeah. housing development yeah. comes too far south, that's actually, you know, going to threaten their livelihood as farmers. And I, I think maybe not just livelihood, I'm imagining kind of too, they use the term hustle and bustle in other parts of the, the story. Like, I think there must be a pace to rural life that not that they don't work hard, because I think their days are super, super long. Yeah. So it's not about like, that they're not working, but I think there's a, a solitude maybe and a, and a pace and the fact that you know your neighbors and rely on your neighbors in ways because there's fewer of you. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure sometimes that's also difficult, <laughs> but because you know each other and have to rely on each other because there's so few of you, um, that, that creates a bond that it does feel like a city moving south would threaten so i like i kind of get it from both sides yeah and also like the like the land if the land itself disappears you're gonna have less of a farm to farm and like how important it is for those people who own farms to not if the value of that land goes up and you're working two jobs it Mm. must sound pretty sweet to sell to a land developer who might make a subdivision I don't know. Yeah, that one's interesting, too, because I also thought about the not in my backyard. But it's like, well, if a factory pops up on an agricultural land, I mean, that's kind of where there goes the land. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's interesting to think about. But you mentioned neighbors, and that makes me think of our second story or our third story. Which you want to play already? Because I wanted to hear what Reagan had to say about no, the last line. I don't need line. to hear what Reagan said. <laughs> oh, <wow>. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm I mean, assuming Reagan would have something to say. I almost always <laughs> do. No, I just, what sticks, it's, it's, I'm sticking on this job train, okay? Um, it just sticks out, like, this desire to preserve what you like and what you love about a place. But also, it, he doesn't fully acknowledge this, but I think he kind of does. There's not enough industry... In from what how he's describing Couts or Malden, Malden, there's not enough industry to support the people that live there. Mm. You have he described like one bar, mm. one church, and then something else. If there are enough like people that live there, like you don't have a doctor's office in town. I know he says that Valpo is six minutes away, but like there is there are vital pieces of this community that mm. are missing. So, like, yeah. I, I feel like it's a combination of what both of you are saying. Of, like, yeah, we do. Like, the, the holding of the line is necessary. But at the same time, mm-hmm. we're thinking about, like, independence. We're thinking about what it means to be in community and what it means to live in a certain place. Like, well, you need certain things to live in a certain place, and you don't even have that. That's a problem. Yeah, like, what, like what are you giving up when you hold the line mm-hmm. on development? Like, you're, you don't have a grocery store. You don't have a doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the people that live there are likely, because of the way that the U.S. is moving towards almost exclusively, not really, but, like, the growth that happens in jobs, for the most part right now, is in service, service industry, yeah. which is notoriously not very well-paying. But, two, you don't have those jobs either. Mm-hmm. where are your young people going how are you going to maintain a population you know it's just like that forever continuingly like nebulous gray area of like where do we start and where do we stop yeah yeah there is this actual interdependence upon one another mm-hmm. and i mean it is 
hard to tell without having the speaker here to further elaborate. Like, does that line have to be a boundary that separates cultures which are reliant on each other in other ways or like recognizing our interdependence on each other? Could that division road not be a barrier? Could it instead be like a table, which I don't know Mm -hmm. if you remember. Oh shoot. I think it's Hannah Arendt's quote, which was in one of the books that we read in the who's my neighbor class, but it was just a quote of hers talking about like how a table brings people together, but it also separates them, but just like just enough, Mm, you know? So uh, it's a little hard to know which one he's thinking. Is it a table or is it like a wall? Mm -hmm. Let's build a wall. But I want to make sure we get the third story in because Willow, it seems like you're really excited about it. So, um, (laughs) yeah, this one is called home for good. I'm sure. South of division road is home. It's still an agriculture atmosphere throughout Southern Porter County. That's what's really neat about it. One stoplight in Coutts, no stoplights in Malden. But we're also close enough to city that we can be there in 10 minutes. This is home. This is where I'm from. This is where my family's at. This is where I farm. This is where my friends are. And this is something that I can't leave. Well, you know that I've been here six years now. That's when I met you. Six years ago, we lived in a a street in town in Jasper County, Indiana, in Rensselaer. It's amazing how I didn't get to know my neighbors down there. As soon as you come into a more of a a rural ag setting, I know almost every neighbor within a few miles versus right just next door down there where you don't, when you don't even know their name. That's on me, but you tend to want to know and you're closer with people who come from your same background or, or have your same views. And it's definitely that way up here. For the several years that I was in Francisville, Indiana, uh, as a seed, in a seed corn company, it was amazing how fathers and sons always went their separate ways. They, right. they very rarely worked together. Um, and I, I really didn't like that. And as I came up here, I, it felt much more like home. I can't say that I could ever see going anywhere. You know, with the the home we purchased now, you and I just got done building along with some other family, more barns. This will be home for good, I'm sure. We have a close community up there where we live, close family. We build things, we build homes, we build barns. We all work together and help each other out. And what's funny is all that's done with never a drop of money being exchanged. And you and your brother, I know, and now even me with a few acres, they all work together. Everyone owns different pieces of equipment, or especially you and your brother and, and the neighbor there. And you help get his crop in. He helps get your crop in. Never a dime is exchanged. It's utterly amazing to me that that can happen in, in today's world. And that's why it's almost like taking a step back in time here. There's 12 cows out there, 12 steers. So as soon as they're ready, everyone gets meat from those steers. So we all, you know, and never money's exchanged. And as soon as the 4-H season's over, these hogs will go to slaughter so that we all have pork in our freezers and no money again will ever exchange hands. And for no one to feel slighted, for no one to feel like it's unfair, that's a way to raise a family. 
This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio, and I'm Allison Schutte with Willow Walsh and Reagan Skaggs. That was our third story for the day, Home for Good, I'm sure. We've been listening to our rural neighbors today, and I'm just going to turn it right over to you, Willow, <laughs> just because I know you wanted to, to comment on this one, and I'm we got about seven minutes left, so I want to give you some time to unpack it. There are some amazing things that are happening in this story that I just really wanted to call out. Um, first of all, barn raising. Um, we've talked a little bit about that practice on the show before. And Daniel Chemist, that's his book, yeah. Community and Politics of Place. And, and one of the stories in his book, he talks about the act of barn raising. And I don't necessarily know if it's the, the same here, but just the act of like having to come together and create something for your neighbors, despite maybe you don't love them, maybe they don't have the same political views or something, but like having to do something collectively in order to survive, like how that can create that sort of connection. It just reminded me of what's happening here that it's like, we build things, we build homes, we build barns, we all work together and help each other out. And so there's just like, I don't know, there's a love there. There's like a community and like a a neighborly practice that's happening there that I really love. And then my, this is like my soul (laughs) song, the idea that you could own different pieces of equipment, which makes sense, and then trade it around and make sure that everybody gets to use some of the equipment that everybody owns in order to harvest your fields without ever exchanging money. That is the most beautiful thing. (laughs) I cannot describe it. At the same time, so like this feels so wonderful. And I think it's so interesting that he describes it as taking a step back when in my mind it's like, Sure, like, yeah, like that used to happen. And I suppose it would be like a step back. But like for now, for it to happen now, we would have to change some things up in order for us to get to that place. So to me, it's like this is it's actually more of a progressive idea to try because you're going to have to do something to try to get to this place. I mean, at least for us living in Valparaiso, like that would be harder. And so I don't know. I just I love that. But at the same time, it's like I as a queer person could never see myself living in couts and engaging in this practice that apparently happens among rural landowners. Well, he does say people who come from your same background and have your same views. So, and when he's saying that he's not including queer folk in that, I think, but I also think it's interesting. One of the speakers is reflecting on Rensselaer and a farming community there that is not doing the sort of neighborliness that you're romanticizing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it isn't necessarily inherent in the, in the agriculture industry. Perhaps it's inherent in a way of doing agriculture. I just think that's important. Like when it's, it's a way of complicating like people mm-hmm. who are like me, because when he says that he's not referring to all farmers like there are farmers out there that he doesn't feel at home with for certain kinds of familial relationships or industry practices i want to push back slightly on that because i read it a little bit differently okay um because he said and this might be you might have way more context having done this interview and i may be wrong but the way i read it he said six years ago he lived in a, a street in town in jasper county in rensselaer And I didn't get to know my neighbors. And then he said, as soon as you get into more of a rural agricultural setting, you know every neighbor around you. So I was just reading that as like, I don't know, like if you were to compare it to like Couts or something, like you're downtown in one of those streets where there are like a few streets with like back-to-back houses Mm -hmm. 
versus like driving a few miles out where they are separated by a few miles but is that not well actually that's not the part of the story that i was referring to but you so you could be right about that i was thinking more about the sons and fathers not cooperating um in francisville indiana Mm -hmm. um so fathers and sons always went their separate ways they rarely worked together so i was thinking more about that like Mm -hmm. a kind of even people in the ag industry like it's not sometimes you might not even know your neighbors it's even like sometimes you might not farm with your family. Mm-hmm. It sounded like a, more of a relationship of conflict. I mean, it could be more neutral than that, just that they don't, they each have their own farms. And so they're each doing their own thing and going yeah. their own ways. But it did seem to me like my reading of his story was that he found this place that was back in time <laughs> to like what he thought farming should be, which is this kind of thing that Daniel Chemist was pointing at. He's out in Montana writing about it, but it's very similar here yeah. um, to this, these two storytellers experience at least. Well, and, and also, well, you do this. Like we do this. Like just recently mm-hmm. my car broke down. Okay. And I needed to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Cause I live in Hebron, but I work in Valpo. So how was I going to get to work? All this other fun stuff. I stayed at Willow and Erica's and yeah, like yeah. I, they took me to work and like no money exchanged hands for that. Yeah. Like that's what this is. Hmm. It's just communicating and being in community with one another and like loving one another, you know, like that you're already doing that. Like there's, <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I'm doing that. <laughs> well, no, there, there's more ways to like expand that too. And I think that's really what you're getting at is like wanting a bigger sense of that, which yeah. you're totally allowed to want and totally allowed to crave. We all are, yeah. but like we're working on it, you know, yeah. like we are all getting there. That is a really good note to end on. Um, And before we head out, we would invite you, dear listener, to please check out WVLP's full schedule at WVLP.org. And we highly recommend Morning Black, which airs live every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. And then replays Thursdays at 2 and Fridays at 9 Uh, Morning Black stands for Building Leaders and Cultural Knowledge, and the show focuses on the concerns and issues that impact underrepresented communities of color with a particular interest in the African-American communities. Um, Morning Black provides a platform for discussing the issues and problems that inhibit equality and justice in the African-American community. So check that out. Mm -hmm. And that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com. Both are also open for business at their locations downtown on Lincoln Way. Visit their websites to learn more. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marachna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. You can find us online at welcomeproject.balbo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to support WVLP and our show, you can make a donation by going to wblp.org support.